0: With Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi, and welcome to the Robots Podcast. In today's episode, we're visiting the Robotics Science and Systems Conference, RSS, which took place in June 2016 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The RSS brings together researchers working on algorithmic or mathematical foundations of robotics, robotics applications, and analysis of robotic systems. Our interviewer Audrey Nash was there for us and spoke to Gangguan Jing from Cornell University about modular robotics, Rico Jonskovsky from Technical University of Berlin about lessons from last year's Amazon Picking Challenge, which his team had won, with Matthew Gambale from MIT about software to help nurses coordinate, and with Dorsa Sadiq from UC Berkeley about developing human-like behaviour for autonomous cars.
1: Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Ganyan Jin. I'm from the Verifiable Robotic Research Group at Cornell University.
2: Can you tell me a bit about your project?
1: Uh, so this is a project, joint project with uh, Tark Tosa and Mark Yan from the uh, University of Pennsylvania. They are from uh, the Mot Lab. Uh, we're working on an end-to-end system for uh, user with less experience in robotics to control modular robots.
2: What does it look like?
1: Uh, so it has four components. Uh, the first the first of it is a graphical user design interface that allow users to design uh, configurations and behaviors of modular robots. And once they design those interesting behaviors, we save those behavior online to our server so that they can be shared with other users and with ourselves. And we get all those designs from different users. And so what are the pieces that they can design with? Uh, so each the unit is single modular robot unit that we had, which is a four degree down, four degree freedom boxes. So think about it, it's a box with three wheels, uh, uh, three of the sides, and you can also bend in the center. Uh, essentially, there are four degree freedom for this box, and you can drive them like a car on the ground. They can attach each other through magnet in between, and with a bunch of them, you can essentially build a large structure. So
2: a snake-like yes. robot. From you can a make snake, animals. but you can
1: make a lot of other structures. Right? You can make a yeah. car shape. You can even make it into a monster shape. Uh.
2: What's a monster shape?
1: Well, So we made a centaur. It essentially has four legs and two hands. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. In the simulator, we made a centaur. Yeah.
2: Okay, so back to the description of what okay. you can do with this robot. Yeah. So it's for people that are less experienced. Right,
1: right. Because uh, if you notice, the whole system really doesn't require you to know too much about robotics. You'll be able to use a computer with a mouse, and it's a graphic design tool. Uh, essentially it looks like playing a game. You just uh, start with a single module, you add more module on it, and you start to control each module with their join values, and then you can simulate the result and see if you like it or not. And you say, okay, if my robot doesn't move forward, that means I don't like this one. Let me start a new one. Until you come up with a design that you really like. You know, your robot can move forward, can do a flip if you want to. It's really up to you. What do you want to do, your robot do, right? And after you're satisfied, save it, and then it's saving our server.
2: And then you order the parts. Uh, or what's that, what's the pipeline that you're thinking now? So
1: the module we have 24 module already in our lab. Once we have all those interesting behaviors, uh, we will try to kind of achieve them in the actual physics physical models. Uh, we will get all those modules, look at your designs, and put them together, and you know make some cool video out of it. Um, so this is not really like you design something and place the order, and we're going to ship to your. It's more just we really want to utilize the community thought and then give us some cool ideas, and so we can show uh, the robotic community that hey, the modular robot is cool. Look at all the design that's designed by everybody. You know, even if they don't work on robotics, they can still design something cool. Yeah, um, and eventually, hopefully, with enough motivation, there will be more people working on modular robots, and, and, and you know, at the end, everybody would have some modular robots. Thank you. No problem.
3: Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi, I'm Rika Anczkowski from the Robotics and Biology Lab at TU Berlin. Can you tell me about your research? Uh, my research, so what we are presenting in this uh, conference, is basically on uh, an approach how we can work towards better understanding how to build robotic systems. Mm-hmm. And so, what are you presenting exactly? So, uh, at last year's ICRA, we uh, took part in the Amazon Picking Challenge, and we actually won that challenge. So now we uh, wanted to uh, write about this this system that we built and actually extract something useful that is not just interesting for people working in that area, but uh, for building how to build systems in, in general. So that's what we've done. What was your approach in the Amazon picking challenge? So uh, the approach was basically um, I guess like on a different different levels of abstraction. So the the robot is a robot arm on a mobile base. Um, It picks up objects using a suction cap gripper, so it's connected to a vacuum cleaner and then it sucks objects. Um, It uses a task-specific perception system to identify the objects, and it tightly integrates planning and control to go about uh, actually grasping them. And now the interesting part about that paper is not just the specific description of the system, but rather like the high-level ideas that that went, went into that. So we proposed four aspects that were important for building the system and where it's is different from the other challenge entries. So uh, these four aspects are uh, modularity versus integration. So we did not just um, stick together modules, but we tried to from the beginning uh, build a very integrated, integrated system and then work, work with that to better understand the problem. The second thing was computation versus embodiment. So we much more tried to use our embodiments of a hardware to simplify the problem. This is, for example, this uh, suction-based grasping mechanism, which makes perception and planning much easier. And the mobile base, which again, actually uh, it actually um, removes the entire need for, for doing motion planning. The third thing is uh, planning versus feedback. And there again, we did not use any motion planning. Instead, we used a lot of feedback. For example, we used a forced sensor at our, ro- at our hand the robot hand to detect when it made contact with the object. So how it could grasp them. And the last thing is uh, generality versus assumptions. And this is basically saying that we did not try to use very generic methods, but where it was needed we include assumptions about the task to better solve it and make it easier. And what kind of problems do you think your appro- will you apply your approach to? Well, I mean the specific system is for the problem of the Amazon picking challenge. But what what we hope is that our insights about how to build systems should be general applicable to better understanding how to build systems.
2: In general? In general. So,
4: okay.
3: What
2: are some near-term, applica- like future systems that you plan to apply your approach to?
3: So what we're doing in our lab is um, different tasks that, uh, that have to do with ma- manipulating objects. So just picking up stuff, putting it somewhere, but also uh, interacting with your environment and learning about it while you're interacting. For example, um, interacting with uh, kind of a shelf and, and drawers and learning about how, how they work. And um, where we're basically using the same robots in a very similar architecture, and we try to, uh, to leverage what we have learned in this challenge.
2: And are you doing anything to
3: form a community around this approach or to spread this to other researchers? Well, that's essentially why we're here. So that's what was the proposal of the talk I was giving this morning, and also um, yeah, why we're talking right now to, to different people. So we, we hope that this, this should really help people to write systems papers, not just, uh, just describe a task and a solution, but really try to understand why it works and which kind of approaches work for which kind of problems. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hey. Can you introduce yourself?
5: Yes, my name is Matthew Gambale. I'm a fifth-year Ph.D. candidate at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and I'm working on service robots that can be intelligent teammates rather than simple drones to help in labor and delivery and other operations in hospitals.
2: And tell me how they do that.
5: One of the things that we find is that charge nurses are responsible for deciding which nurses will care for which patients, where those patients go, and how to act sequence access to the operating room and all of the other facilities in the hospital. They do this actually very well. The computational complexity, basically how complicated is their job, surpasses that of an air traffic controller. And the way they're able to do this is to actually rely on their labor nurses.
2: Who is this that you're saying?
5: Oh yes, the charge nurse.
2: Charge nurse. Yes,
5: charge nurse. Or in some cases you should call them the resource nurse because they manage resources. Okay. The charge nurse relies on the labor nurses, those that are actually directly caring for the patients, to anticipate their needs and act with some autonomy. And so if you want a robot to be able to help, you don't want them to be a simple mindless drone that has to be directly controlled. So what we did was we developed an algorithm, which we call apprenticeship scheduling, that actually learns by watching the charge nurses make decisions and learns what you call a policy, a machine learning model, that can predict what the charge nurse will do next. And in such a manner, not only can you recommend to a charge nurse or a labor nurse what you think would be the best action to take next, but you can actually be an active teammate and a participant and start helping out with some basic actions and acting independently on your own to help uh, make more efficient the process.
2: And so you train this algorithm with the charts that the nurse has?
5: Yeah, so what we do is we have charge nurses play a simulation of the labor floor in the hospital and make their decisions just as they would in real life. We take that and we feed it into a sophisticated machine learning algorithm.
2: uh, Can you talk a bit about the approach?
5: Yeah. So the idea is that we want to learn what's known as classification. We want to predict... Given data about the state of the floor, who is in which rooms, which nurses are caring for which patients, we want to learn how to predict what action we'll take ne- next, which action will be good or which action will be bad. Uh, commonly, you can think of this as you have an image of a cat or a dog, and you want to predict, is it an actually a cat or a dog? And so we take this data of charged nurses that have made decisions in our simulation, and we compare at each moment in time, the action they took and the set of actions they did not take and learn a rule to be able to predict what action would be best to take at a new state on the labor floor. And we can put that on the robot, give it a computer vision system so it can read off the handwritten information off the whiteboard, a natural language processing subroutine so it can talk to the nurses and understand what they want. And voila, we have a robotic system. We deployed it on a labor floor at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and actually found uh, that labor nurses agree with the advice that the robot can give 90% of the time, which is pretty fantastic for a, a, a first-of-its-kind system.
2: Yes. So if this system can predict what the nurses would be doing next, how can it assist them?
5: There are many ways they can assist them. Simply by offering alternatives that could be good, uh, good actions that a nurse can take. It can help her restrict her focus onto the best actions that you could take to help in a tricky situation or it could perhaps directly cooperate and assist with patient care by transporting patients from one room to the next based upon what you think that patient will need next to take for her care and help offload some of the logistics of nurses and help nurses focus on why they're nurses to directly care for patients. Thank you. Yes, you're most welcome.
2: Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself?
4: I'm Dorsa Sadik from UC Berkeley.
2: Can you tell me a bit about the research you're presenting?
4: So, today I was talking about planning for autonomous cars that leverage effects on human actions. So, this is basically modeling human drivers and using these models and being being able to leverage effects on human drivers while we are driving. So,
2: what behaviors of humans are you using in your models?
4: So in our models, we are trying to use inverse reinforcement learning uh, to learn a reward function for the human. So for example, we, we know the fact that humans try to avoid collisions or stay within the road boundaries. And based on that, we learn a reward function for the human. And then using this reward function, we can plan for the autonomous car and try to affect the humans as well. So use the human, use the human actions as part of our reward function.
2: So what applications would this have?
4: So we've been looking at semi-autonomous driving and autonomous driving as one of the applications. So if you think about autonomous cars today, autonomous cars just assume that other vehicles are moving obstacles. But if you think about it, we have some sort of interaction between the vehicles. So we want to be able to inter- like look at this interaction, model this interaction, and use that. Uh, we can think of other types of applications as well, interaction with UAVs, human-robot interaction. But so far, it's been autonomous driving.
2: Why this approach as opposed to using the structured nature of roads and just saying stay on the road? Why model the roads using these learned behaviors?
4: Uh, So, you're talking about the inverse reinforcement learning part of it, right? Um, So, uh, first off, this gives us a formalism, a reward function that we can use later on in our optimization, because later on we want to use the reward function and be able to affect humans. So, it's not just modeling humans, it's more than than that. trying to affect humans, make humans, for example, slow down. Like, for example, if I'm driving and my grandma is also driving on, next, on the next road, I can cut in front of my grandma and make my grandma slow down. So I want to be able to do th- those type of behaviors, and for that, I need a reward function expressing humans' behavior.
2: That's So could these models, could you use them in, in say, an accident, or like if you're avoiding That's- a stopped car and there's no way to avoid collision, so you drive off the side of the road where there's a grassy field?
4: That's a great, actually, that's a great question. So safety is one of the big concerns here, right? Uh, so so far we have been modeling safety as part of our features and as part of our reward function, but we are thinking about uh, adding that as a hard constraint later on, so we can actually definitely be safe. Uh, and. We're going to prove that we can be safe in such scenarios. So far, our models are limited to data that we are gathering, and they're basically assuming normal driving. But we are definitely considering situations where humans are not necessarily rational and might act irrationally.
2: And how do you gather data?
4: Uh, So we have a car simulator. We we are basically bringing users to drive on a car simulator uh, using a steering wheel and braking pedal and gather data in-house like at Berkeley.
2: So it's all simulator.
4: It's all simulator so far. Yeah.
2: What are the disadvantages and advantages of doing that?
4: So we have the. We don't need to deal with state estimation. We don't have that much noise. We're using simpler uh, models of uh, driving and simplest uh, dynamics models. Um, yeah, and we have. Yeah, we have better access to data. So the. the, the yeah. So the disadvantage is. Um, we're. Yeah. So we're not driving on on the real road. So <laughs> obviously that's a disadvantage. Yeah. Uh,
2: gotcha. And so what kind of results do you have from your work so far?
4: So, so far we have been able to show that we can affect drivers, and we have done some user studies showing that this actually works. And humans, for example, do slow down when we cut in front of them, or humans do respond correctly when we try to signal them that they should cross first. So we have autonomous cars doing interesting actions where uh, interesting actions that can affect other, other humans. So inter- intersection scenarios, highway driving scenarios.
2: Thank you.
0: And that's it for today. If you're curious to find out more about this year's RSS or anything else that's hot in robotics, just visit our website at robohub.org. The next episode will air in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. RSS with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.